0: Now, if you haven't been keeping track <clears throat> to which day of the year it is, <clears throat> uh, we are approaching that that very wonderful time of the year that people love so much, and uh, it's a challenging time for God's holy people, and which happens to be just two weeks away, by the way, and And it's challenging for several reasons, one of which we are forced to endure the incessant chanting of Christmas greetings, music, and endless TV commercials and radio broadcast commercials, constantly bringing it up and playing um, um, the music. And I don't mind telling you how I try to figure out how to say humbug without being ugly at the same time, you know, but I do and i don't I don't like being viewed as a grinch concerning the secular holidays, but I you know I, I feel like I have to speak out about about the things that I see wrong. I feel like that's part of my job and uh, um it's funny, but i see I see the Grinch figure as an invention of, of the, the secular world in a way to silence the naysayers of the Christmas celebrations. So if, you, if you call people bad enough names constantly enough, you know, they're not going to say anything about it anymore. Wrong. And I'll keep doing it. I don't mind being characterized as that way. Uh, the second thing I notice that tends to occur around this time of year is an increase in the chaos within God's church. Uh, you may not notice it, but I, I certainly haven't have for years, and I've come to dread this, month, uh, the month of December anyway. And for many years now, I, I have witnessed myself, and so have others uh, in the past, that this time of year seems to bring some, you know, a, a, a bit more chaos to God's church for some reason. There seems to be co- a controversy. And it inevitably foments within a crescendo that almost uh, uh, arrives at this time of the year, and nearly every church issue that I've ever been a part of that wound up in a separation uh, has occurred around this this month, and it, it's just weird. It is it, strange how that how that seems to happen. Uh, it seems the greatest conf- you know, confrontations and challenges to the faith of God happens in the darkest part of the year. And, and once again, here we are. So it makes me wonder if this isn't Satan's season to roam more freely throughout the world, spreading his lies. Because he hides in the shadows and in the dark and he whispers his lies to those that are willing to listen. And after all, you got to stop and think too. I don't think most people understand this, but December is sandwiched between Satan's first and second most holiest days, um, or this time of year is, and that is October 31st, being the their most sacred of of the, those times. But December 21st is also a close runner up to it, because it is uh, one of their high high holy days. It's the Yule season. And the shortest day of the year, and it comes in like I said, a close second. And then it's capped off by the celebration of the of the new birth of the sun god on December 25th. Oh wait a bit. What that's supposed to be Christ's birthday? I, I, maybe I got that wrong. I, I, I'm not sure. I, it, both sun gods in pagan mythology, whether you know it or not, is said to be born on on or around December 25th. I, I, so I got a question to my Christian friends out there. Is it just coincidence that Christ, you say Christ, your Messiah is born on December 25th? Um this is, you know, that's been a time-honored tradition of pagan rites since man turned against God. You know, if you read books like Hyssop's Two Babylons and some of the other literature, I know people like to poo-poo that because they don't like what's in it or whatever. But it makes one wonder why the fathers of the Christian religion, you know, didn't pick another day on the calendar to say that it was the Messiah's birthday because there's so much controversy that surrounds that particular day. Unless it isn't about the Messiah after all. Hmm. Something to think about. So every year about this time, I like to stir the pot by going through the usual biblical text, proving Christmas has nothing to do with the Messiah and his birth. And I present scriptures like Jeremiah 10, 1 through 5. I like the meme that was on Facebook that says, somebody was asking, this guy says, where could I go get a, find the Christmas tree? He says, have you tried Jeremiah chapter 10, 1 through 5? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's turn there and read that, okay? <laughs> he says, hear the word of the eternal speaks to you, house of Israel. This is what the eternal says. Do not learn the way of the nations and do not be terrified by the signs of the heavens, although the nations are terrified by them. And uh, there's a whole sermon right there. But anyway, it says, For the custom of the people are futile, for the wood, for it is wood cut from the forest, and the work of the hands of the craftsmen with a cutting tool, and they decorate the idol with silver and gold, and they fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not totter. And they are like scarecrow in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak, and they must be carried, and they cannot walk, do not fear them, for they, they can do no harm." Nor can they do any good, and, and and I know that translation's off a little bit. It's a new American standard to to what a lot of you say, but it says tree. He says they go into the the forest and cut a tree. But if, what it was is that they would go into the forest, cut a tree, in ancient times, and they would sh- take all the limbs off of it. They would make what what we refer to, or what is referred to, commonly referred to in, in pagan terms, as an Asherah pole. And they would decorate it with silver and 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 gold and stuff, and set it up in the corner of their house now i 'm not going to tell you what that represents i'll let i 'll leave that to your imaginations, but <clears throat> you 'll see a lot of them today, and not just around christmas time, but anyway, there tends to be this this cosmic disassociation between christmas and and, and the setting up of Christmas trees. According to Jeremiah chapter ten, verses one through five, and they they set them up in their homes, and 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 you know, and and they decorate them with silver, and gold, and lights, and different things like that. And and one of the conversations I had with my mother whenever uh, she found out I was leaving the church, and I mentioned something about the Christmas tree, and she 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 barked back at me, and my mom could bark back pretty good, and she says. I'm not, cel- I'm, not celebra- or, uh, I'm not worshiping the tree. And I said, I said, but you put it up every year, Mom. <laughs> and, and she said, well, I just lie. It's tradition, all this. Yeah, it is tradition. So they ignore this passage, and they default to the usual excuse for setting up a Christmas tree in their home. Well, it's for the children. And that's exactly why Bob said. It. It's for, it's cute, it's fun for the children, and all these kind of things. Well, yeah, okay, yeah, maybe it is. But it's a lie. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. And and it's for the children, yeah, well say, you know, so is abortion. <laughs> it's for the children. God calls that murder. And sadly, it doesn't seem to stop the Christian, or a lot of so-called Christians, or a lot of so-called people from having them. So, yeah, I got a little sidetracked there, but Christians, they get their, they even get their biblical facts about the holiday wrong. And for instance, the common belief that there was only three wise men is false, and I know that may be a shocker to you folks out there. I'm, so, I'm sorry. And by the way, welcome to everybody on the internet. And, but one, they, were, they weren't called wise men, basically. They were called magi, which is a basic root word for magicians. And two, it doesn't ever specify how many when you read the scriptures. So we, for some magical reason, we've jumped over this, this number three we got three wise men, three kings, three gifts, you know, kind of thing. And it does talk about three gifts, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't specify but one king and, three, and and multiple magi. It doesn't say how many. And uh, the passage, well, the, the distinct gifts that it talks about are gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those are the ones that, that were specified in the Bible. And the shepherds were supposedly in the fields suffering through the elements at the at that particular time of the year when the sheep were normally corralled because of the cold. But here we're led to believe that they're out sitting with the sheep in the middle of a pasture in the middle of a meadow, and the sheep are eating or sleeping or whatever they're doing, and the angels appeared to them. well, that's what happened, but it wasn't in December, okay. Now, here's one of the passages I'm talking about. Turn to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, or Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born of the king of the Jews? For he saw his star in the east, and have come to worship him. And then Herod uh, the king heard this and was troubled, and, and all Jerusalem with him." Now, also drop down to verse 16 and 17. Excuse me. Then Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, and he became very enraged and sent men to kill all of the boys who were in Bethlehem and all of its around the vicinity who were two years old or under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi, then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. So... The understanding that we get here just by reading these scriptures that are supposedly Christmas scriptures is that the Messiah was two years old by the time the, the Magi showed up at his manger. He was running around. He was in the terrible twos, you know, sticking his finger in the light sockets and that kind of thing, you know. And, and, but we don't get that impression by the people out there in the secular world, they think, well, he was a baby and all this just happened all at once, You know, the Magi were there, the wise men were there, and all these other things happened all at one time, but it didn't, it took a two-year process for all of this to transpire. So again, facts don't seem to matter because Christmas is that magical time of year and biblical accuracy just goes out the window. We don't care, we like the season. All right, well, fine. So it's my contention. You could ask 100 people in the Christian community why they celebrate Christmas. And and you can throw Easter in there if you like. And 90% would simply regurgitate the mantra that is given to them out there about traditions. And they have been taught these same things for generations. So why should they change? Well, and and... You know, and, and that's probably right. Commercialism created modern Christian traditions. It wasn't the Bible, <laughs> which took, and, and 250 years ago, Christmas didn't look anything like it did today, does today because okay. it was outlawed for one thing in the United States. <clears throat> but that doesn't matter either. So why am I keep bringing those things up that just don't matter? I could go on tearing down Chris, the Christmas narrative that is supposed to be illustrated in the Bible, but isn't. And, but that would be an exercise of futility, right? So I'd like to point out to those who love the Christmas traditions above scripture that you shouldn't discard everything else that's in the scriptures because you like the tradition. So I thought I would approach it differently this year, just a little bit. I'm going to take a novel approach and appeal to the common sense reasoning of all the people out there. Oh Oh my. Well, I've begun taking this approach with some of my other biblical studies and I kinda like it, but you know, you'll just have to judge for yourself. The goal in my opinion is to reach that light switch in somebody's mind and pull that chain which switches on that light of truth. And since I can't do it through facts, we'll try another way. And because only then can a person begin the process of emerging from the dark, dark shadows where Satan dwells into the land of, of, of light and the living where God is and is true. So breaking Satan's bonds of misery and chains and traditions, well, that's our goal. And we want to bring people to the glory of God. Isn't that our, our agenda, if, if we have one? So this sentiment is echoed in Psalms chapter 107, 11 through 14, because he says, because they had rebelled against the words of God and rejected the plan of the Most High, therefore he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled and there was no help. Then they cried out to the eternal in their trouble and he saved them from their distress and he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bonds apart. So, I see this verse as saying, it's like when someone hits rock bottom and they feel like they're alone and they're sitting in the dark somewhere, but there's this tiny light of truth that, that they notice. It starts flickering somewhere and and they start pursuing it, and I'm fairly certain that most good people, most Christians, think they honor God by doing what they do by celebrating Christmas. I, I hey I I agree. I I did it for what forty years? What no thirty years? Thirty thirty two years? <laughs> I was somewhere not there. <clears throat> it wasn't a whole. <laughs> well, okay. I did it for a while <laughs> before, I, before I, I, I came to God's truth. So I understand how people feel about these holidays. I get it. You know, I, I can't argue with, with what they're saying, that it's tradition, and that it's a lot of fun, and the families are there and everything. I, I get that. that. This is my common sense approach. I'm appealing to you. And, and, the, and they can't see the truth because all of this other stuff is blinding them. And and, and, and hey, I mean, why change? I mean, we're midstream, you know, why change? Why rock the boat? What well, it says in John 16, 2 through 3, it says, <clears throat> They will ban you from the synagogue. Yet an hour is coming when everyone who kills you think that they're offering, that that he is offering a service to God. So these things they will do because they have not known the Father nor me. So, you know, they're, they're in the midst of their Christmas celebrations. And, and, and you bring up, you know, well, Christmas is pagan. You know, well. You might get killed. I'm serious. People are that adamant about these holy days, and they don't think that they're doing God a favor by getting rid of this guy who says Christmas is a pagan holiday. They don't see themselves as rebelling against God. They don't. They truly don't. It's just the opposite. They think they're honoring God. And again, that doesn't matter if one is or isn't rebelling God on purpose. But it does matter when the end results finally come in. Hmm. Kind of like Something ain't right. Oh. I didn't number my pages. <laughs> okay, let's start laying some groundwork by going through a couple of verses here. One of the things I want to start with my common sense approach is Hebrews chapter 8, verse 4 through 6. It says, it says this, Now, if he were on earth... Christ, the Messiah. He would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, who serve a copy and the shadow. Now, I want you to to absorb that verse right quick. I'll let that sink in. Just as Moses was warned by God when he's a, it was about to erect the tabernacle. He says, for see, he says, that you make all things by the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain, but now has obtained a more excellent ministry so the, the extent that he may also be a mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. Now, this is the formula for my common sense approach that we will apply to the word of God going forward. All things are a pattern on earth that were on the mountain when God gave the laws to Moses. All things are a pattern to to something in heaven, to an exact duplicate in heaven. Well, stop and think about all the things that were given to Moses on, on the mountain that went into that temple. Did that not include his laws? I mean, after all, there was a copy of the Torah in the Ark of the Covenant. So stop and think about that for a second. Because this is the formula we're going to use. And I want you to think about how that applies to what you eat. How you worship. And the days you worship on. Now some folks. Well. They like to ignore the warnings. That are written down in scripture. Believing they they can simply love God in their heart. And God will always forgive them. No matter their trespasses. Whether they. Repent or not. Christmas, for instance, is the prevailing thought among many Christians as to one of the most sacred days of the year. And, And they'll tell you, after all, aren't we worshiping Jesus' birthday, the Messiah's birthday? And that will make it okay in their minds and their hearts and their thinking. But the book of Isaiah would imply something a little bit different. If you'll turn to Isaiah chapter 1, 13 through 15. And he says this. Do not go on bringing your worthless offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon, Sabbath, the proclamation of assembly. I cannot endure the wrongdoing. And the festive assembly. 14, I hate your new moon fe- festivals, your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I'm tired of burying them. And when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you offer many prayers, I will not be listening. Your hands are covered with blood. Now, you might think this verse has nothing to do with the Christian religion only has to do with the Jewish celebrations. Because after all, it does say Sabbath and new moons and, and, and that sort of thing. And you would be partially correct. Because it's common knowledge, though, that the Christians like to borrow biblical definitions for their own use. Like the word Sabbath. <coughs> we talked about that a little bit in the, uh, in the Bible study. But they like to apply the word to their Sunday worship. Do you think that has a direct bearing to Isaiah chapter 1? Rhetorical question, y'all don't have to answer. I agree that the universal definition of Sabbath is a day of rest based upon Strong's Hebrews 76, 76, Shabbat, Shabbat, and in, intensive from 7673, intermission is the word, the Sabbath, and then if you go to 7673, which is the the base word, to repose, to desist from exertion exer, used in many implied relations, causace, causative, figurative, or specific, cause to let, make, to cease, celebrate, Cause to fail to keep the Sabbath suffer lacking leave put away down make to rest rid still take away. Basically, it means it's a day of rest, and like we said in the uh, I, I said in the uh, Bible study, if God says to rest on a specific day, whether it's an annual day, whether it's a weekly day, whether whatever day it is. It's a Sabbath. So I'd like everybody to take notice that it also doesn't specify in scriptures. because if you go through it, you look at the, the word Sabbath, I've gone through many, many instances. There may be one I missed, but most of them are, are Strong's Hebrews 76, 76. Same definition. Now, if God says to cease to work on a specific day, it is a Sabbath. So let's start, well, anyway. Now let's apply a formula or the formula God gave Moses on Mount Sinai and see how it fits or applies to the Christmas celebration. First, we need one more reference before we do that. Which we find in Leviticus 16. Now, this chapter is one that speaks about one day of the year where it's essential for the high priest to be unequivocally correct when entering the Holy of Holies. And the Messiah even went so far as to say in plain Hebrew. These very instructions in Leviticus sixteen one through two. Now the Eternal spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons Aaron, uh, sons of Aaron when they had approached the presence of the Eternal and died. And the Eternal said to Moses, "Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the atoning cover, which is on the ark." or he will die, for I will appear in a cloud over the uh, atoning cover. So, here it is, folks. If the high priest entered the Holy of Holies on the wrong day, believing in his heart he was correct, he would have died. So, is it a big deal to the eternal if we approach him At the wrong times. Well yeah it is. It is a big deal. Because it violates. The laws of God. And it didn't matter. To the eternal. What the priests believed. In his heart. Because good intentions would not have saved him. Yet today the world tends to be obsessed with the notion. That what we do on earth as physical beings has no bearing in heaven. And you could not be farther from the truth in that assumption. Because I would remind folks of a book that is mentioned in Revelations 20, 11 through 13. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, and from whose presence the earth and heaven fled, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. And another book was opened which was a book of life and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one of them according to their deeds. Wow. What is written in the books about you? Or you. It sounds a bit like what we do on earth. Echoes in heaven. But but Christians, well, they persist on believing as long as they love their neighbor, have love in their heart. And live a good life while well, they've covered all the spiritual bases. And they can celebrate Christmas and Easter and all of these other days that aren't mentioned in the Bible. And they can even observe Halloween. And they can eat pork. And they can do what they want. As long as God, they love God in their heart, they can do these things. Because after all, he knows our hearts. Now, how many people have told me this? Well, back to, back to the priest in Leviticus 16. Let's use him as an example about this. Stop and consider this for a moment. The high priest, he's about to enter the Holy of Holies and meet with the creator of the universe. I mean, that just boggles my mind. I don't know how, how you think about it or how you perceive it, but that boggles my mind. Here a man is going to walk in and he, he's going to meet a being who created everything that you see, feel, touch, smell, or has any kind of form. Well, I don't know about you, but I would think he would probably be the most cleanest, most righteous, most pure individual you can you can think of. Because he 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 knew he was about to enter the holy of holies and meet with the creator of the universe, and he was going to be in close contact with this being. And he was there as a representative of Israel. And he was putting his life on the line. Now put yourself in his shoes for a moment. How would you prepare for such an event? And this was a real event for real men at one time. If he made one misstep, he was a dead man. And not because he didn't have a good heart, a godly heart, a kind heart, a loving heart, and he didn't love God with all that was in him. It wasn't because he, he was having dirty thoughts or he was unkind to someone. Those probably affected something or he murdered an innocent person, or he hated a stranger. No, it wasn't in any of that. Because he made one misstep. And what if that misstep was he went in to the Holy of Holies on the wrong day? because he didn't follow the instructions given to him by the Creator concerning how he went about the Holy of Holies, he broke the law of God. You say, well, he was entering the actual Holy of Holies, it doesn't apply to me today. Well, let's fast forward to today. Because Christians, well, they say, well, according to Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Oh, no, they say our bodies is a temple of God. But they also say those same temple laws that enshrine the temple of God don't apply to us. But we are the temple of God. Do you know those claiming to be God's temple are required to go through a ritual cleansing upon approaching the creator of the universe? What? What? Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let's approach God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know, the, the the high priest, he went through like five different baths or mikvahs before he entered the Holy of Holies. And he's implying here that we must do pretty much the same thing. And it, it's funny how we often leave out things in these discussions when it's when we're trying to drive our own narrative. Now, myself, I'd like to try to visualize things. So I see, what I see in in putting all of this together, I see this transpiring in heaven like this. And by combining the formula given to us by Moses on the mountain, where he says, he, given to him by God, he was told to replicate everything in an exact duplicate as to the things on, because they, they are exact duplicates of the things in heaven. And that there was a, 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 an exact and a precise time when the high priest could only enter into the, the Holy of Holies during the Days of Unleavened Bread. I mean, uh, atonement, I'm sorry. And you combine those things. I see the Father sitting on his throne during one of his appointed times. And he demands his people to be present. It's a requirement. It's a law. To come and celebrate. To have a festival. To do what he asks. And at that day, the heavens, well, they're alive with the throngs of angels and spiritual creatures that we can't even imagine, like those described in Ezekiel 1 and Revelation 5 that surround the throne of God. And they're shouting, they're singing, glory to the highest of the volume human ears can't can't handle. It's beautiful. And they're speaking a different language, which is alluded to in 1 Corinthians 13.1. If I speak with tongues of, 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 of mankind and of angels, but do not have love, I've come to no, uh, I have become a noisy gong to a, or a clanging uh, cymbal. So I visualize this heavenly gathering based upon the scenes given to us by John and some of the other scriptures. And I speculate, as and I admit, I speculate as to the time when this has occurred, but for this exercise, that time is irrelevant, only to know that it's a time that God has called the heavenly hosts together and the people. And Revelation, we can see that in Revelation seven eleven. It says, and all the angels were standing around the throne, all around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne. They worshiped God, saying, Truly, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, might, belonging to our God forever and ever, truly. And this place, well, it's, it's frantic with activity. I mean, it, and angels are darting in and out, and they're carrying messages to the Creator while the throngs of beings surround His throne, and they're saying all this thing and singing and everything, and this, they're standing on a sea of glass and all this. And in my mind, this scene plays out on one of God's holy days because these are special times and special to the Father and His Son and the Messiah. And more of this vision is is covered in Ezekiel chapter one, thirteen through fourteen. It says in the midst of the of the living beings there was something that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches moving among the living beings, and the fire was bright, and lightning was flashing from the fire, and the living beings ran back and forth like bolts of lightning. And so I can only speculate as to what the fire and the lightning is. And, But the book of Job gives us a hint. We get an idea in Job chapter 37, 2 through 5. It says, listen closer to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that goes out from his mouth. And under the whole heaven he lets loose and his lightning travels to the end of the earth. And after it, a voice roars and he thunders with his majestic voice. And he does not restrain the lightning when his voice is heard. And God thunders wondrously with his voice, doing great things which we do not comprehend. And this is my visualization of things of, of the heavenly throne on his holy days. I see this happening. And guess who isn't there? His people. Because they got the wrong day. Now I can have my visualizations, if Christians can have their visions of sugar, plums, and fairies. I can have my visions of God's throne based upon the scriptures. But between John's vision and Ezekiel, we get a powerful vision of the heavenly throne when the Father is sitting upon it. And his presence, well, it defines all that is just and right in heaven and earth, and it 's his his will that matters it 's not ours now i 'd like you for, for you to also picture this, if you will you 're be bopping along down the street with an armful of presents, singing a carol on the, in an armful of presents. On your way to a merry celebration with a Christmas tree, mistletoe, and ornaments, and, and, oh, well, we can't leave out the Yule log. It's there, too, and everything, and you're happy and everything. You're going to your family traditional dinner and all this kind of stuff, and you're just, yeah. You know. Your heart is full of joy and love for your fellow man. It may not be tomorrow, but it's Christmas time, and you feel the need to put a good show on to the sharing of love and all the good festivities. After all, it's your childhood traditions, and you've always been taught that this is time to honor God. This is his time, and a place you are supposed to be, and a place that he also honors and celebrates himself. So half drunk on eggnog, you put your arm, you got your arm around the office secretary. You stop for a moment of reflection because, after all, you're a Christian, right? Well that's what you think of yourself well then you stop and think and you say just for a brief moment you know and a little bit of faith actually just creeps in just for a second you know during those brief moments and you think to yourself well what's happening in heaven on this day what's going on at the throne of God at this time on this day And you begin to feel like the celebrations are a bit empty at that moment because you suddenly realize if this is a pagan celebration then all there is is echoes in heaven. Echoes in the eternal sanctuary because he's not there. What's worse The echoes of evil are being sent to God in the form of prayers centered around the celebrations of December 25th. They're bouncing off the walls of heaven with no place to land. How do I know this, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's how. (laughs) Proverbs 28, 9. It says, says this truth in a different way. If one turns away his ear from hearing God's law, even his prayer is abomination. Also written in Psalm 66, 17 through 18. It says, I cried to him with my mouth and, he, and was exalted with my tongue. And if I regard wickedness in my heart, the eternal will not hear. But you say, Christmas isn't wicked? Or an abomination to God. It's the celebration of his son's birth. Well. Here's your problem. Scriptures in the Old or New Testaments. Well they never give a commandment to celebrate the birth of the Messiah. Not in the Torah. Not in the Prophets. Not in the Psalms. Not in the letters in the New Testament. Nowhere. Nowhere. Yeah, we do find the narrative of his birth, but not a time. And what we do find is applied incorrectly to the Messiah. So all of our imagination on how to worship God results in echoes in the halls of heaven. And God turning his head away from our prayers. And on the other hand, the times that we are commanded to come before him have been purposely hidden and obscured by Satan, so we, so we won't be present when a real celebration is happening. It doesn't matter what your intentions are or how you feel about God in your heart, because the Messiah said this, John 14:15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and that includes his holy days. You want your prayers to be more than echoes bouncing off the temple wall? Then do these things before anything else. Number one, Matthew chapter six thirty-three. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all the things will be provided to you. Also this in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. And he said to them, You shall love the eternal, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Not just your heart. But everything that you are, your being and your mind, your mind meaning that if you love God that much, you will search diligently for what the truth is and for what He asks us to do. But. Not least, last but excuse me, last but not least, the love begins with the study into instructions on times he wants us to celebrate and be in his presence. And those times are listed in Leviticus twenty three. Learn them. Not knowing God's holy days is a shame. It's a dark blot on so-called Christian ministers of this world for not showing the people their importance and replacing it with celebrations like Christmas and Easter. So here's the overall point of my message, in case you wasn't clear or you were asleep. Celebrating God at times, no matter what your intentions are, when he never commanded those times or asked for those celebrations, is an abomination resulting in him not hearing your prayers or acclamations of him even. And in ancient times, it could even mean your death depending upon when and how you approach God. Not being in the correct celebration when God does command his people is just as abominable. And as we see in the Day of Atonement, the instructions to Moses on the Mount Sinai. given to, it, it Spoke about in Hebrews. Being precise in what you do with God is required. I would suggest to everyone to take a deep dive into the scriptures. And see if you are in the presence of God during your celebrations. And see if what is being written about you in heaven. In that book. says good things or bad things. If you want your prayers to be more than just echoes in the air, then be at the right place at the right time, with the right heart, the right mind, and you'll be heard.